Hooked on the Ripple with MAH, a student-led podcast by the School of Media Arts and Humanities. Tune in for discussions surrounding culture, current affairs, playlists, and much, much more. Hello, and welcome to another episode of On the Record with MAH. I'm Sarah, and I'm currently studying uh, my MA in Media Practice for Development and Social Change. And I'm Shannon, and I'm studying Digital Media MA. And together we're hosting today's discussion about Edward Snowden, cybersecurity, and the potential risks of social media more broadly. Um, so Shannon, do you want to start us off with a bit of a background story of Edward Snowden? Yeah, so um, I basically came across Edward Snowden in a podcast with Joe Rogan and just kind of fell into a rabbit hole <laughs> of interest <laughs> trying to understand um his life sort of thing and how he came to where he is today which is in Russia at the moment so I watched his documentary called Citizen 4 and read his book called Permanent Record which are both very insightful I think the book is more sort of like the journey and understanding of how he came to where he is now so it kind of gives you a background of how he grew up and he was always really interested in technology and hacking. And at a very young age, he was like hacking into government websites, but not on purpose, just because out of like pure curiosity. <laughs> but yeah, um, after trying to join the army as like a foot soldier, he gets like a really bad injury and um, basically sent home to recover. Um, but he really wanted to, be a part of the service again but actually use his talents that he's always had so technology wise and he went for like an interview and everything and yeah he was cleared like he had like the best application that anyone could really have since his family were like all part of the service and everything but he has like this chapter in his book called 912 which he kind of talks about the aftermath of 911 and how um privacy is sort of like infringed upon through the 9-11 laws that they implement and um, it wasn't just the institutions that became like really scared about what happened to the country it was every single like individual wanted um, someone to kind of like pay and to find out like how they could let this happen to you know this country that's supposed to be like really strong and like freedom and everything and then like something like that really shocked everyone so it came from a place of fear and fear really accelerated um the nsa the cia and all of the intelligence agencies to do whatever they felt was needed um to kind of make sure that something like this would never happen again but in future what that would mean was kind of like not having any regard for any person's privacy. Yeah, I quite like the the comparison that um, Snowden made in his podcast with Joe Rogan. He basically said that normally police would need a warrant to investigate certain individuals, and that means that they already have some sort of reason of suspicion. <laughs> uh, whereas after nine eleven. Um, the government just had access to all of the citizens and even people outside the US as long as they could reach it in some way. <laughs> um, yeah, just on like all their text messages, Google searches, emails, like all sort of telecommunication or anything that went through 
the internet. Yeah, it's pretty crazy because he's just he was just saying like, if you're like reading this book <laughs> on I don't know like Kindle books or like Apple books or anywhere on like a digital sort of thing, you know the government can like see and swallow like everything that you're reading because once you open up, um, yeah, like anything on the internet, you basically don't have any freedom. That's kind of what he's been saying. And um, yeah, he came across like this when he was working for the CIA. Well, he worked for the CIA and NSA at like same time sort of thing, but like would go between the agencies and stuff. And for some reason, he was like a sysadmin working at one of these like centers. And someone had left the unclassified document on his table and he started reading it and he was like if you weren't a sysadmin then you wouldn't understand because of the specific words that they used but because he was he understood everything that was in the unclassified documents and it said that um the NSA's historic brief had been fundamentally altered from targeted collection of communications which would be targeting like terrorists right to bulk collection which is the agency's euphemism for mass surveillance so that was like the change and um they were arguing in that document that the speed and volume of contemporary communication had outpaced and outgrown american law so they knew that no court not even a secret court could issue enough individually targeted warrants fast enough to keep up right so they knew that they were uh breaking the law but they did it anyway yeah and that he edward snowden said that that was like their biggest secret he's the one in the right then in a way because Mm -hmm. he's exposing corruption and people breaking the law but now he's the one living in exile (laughs) yeah literally that's insane and the government also filed a lawsuit against his book permanent record Mm mm-hmm because I think it it talks about their sort of practices and that um, kind of thing where he's like reading through classified documents and comparing it to the unclassified documents. Um, he talks about in detail like how he came through the ranks as well. So maybe, I mean, being like a, a spy or an agent, you shouldn't really say anything about that, I guess. So it's just like you're never allowed to speak about what you do or what you come across but if you fundamentally don't agree and see that there's corruption then how does that work the only loophole is to become a whistleblower but <laughs> i mean just becoming a whistleblower doesn't it doesn't really ensure your protection in any way like he he could be in jail right now but he because he knew the system so well and he knew the agencies and what their protocols were he was really careful and still ended up in a place where he didn't really want to end up. Yeah. I mean, there's this one theory around Edward Snowden that he has actually been implemented by the NSA um, to sort of show show how much power the NSA does have. And um, why some people think that is because he was so calculated and uh, careful but I don't think that makes any sense. Like, no. How, why would that make any sense? Why would he risk his life, quite literally? Because you can sort of see that in the documentary Citizen Four, um, 
he was really scared and like on edge sort of thing like he seemed a bit crazy <laughs> and people you know the journalists were probably thinking like is this like really necessary um but in the aftermath i think they they realized that it was better to be safe than sorry cuz um when he wanted to like release this information so he downloaded um the information and the files that he wanted to leak on like a really tiny like sim card and he slotted it into like a rubik's cube because everyone all the guards knew him as like this rubik's cube guy because he was like really good at it or something <laughs> so he used to sneak it in through that but because the card was so small it would take him like his whole shift which was like night shifts like seven eight hours maybe more to file and encrypt all of the documents that he wanted to get out so he's already been starting this like a long time before he actually goes to um, Hong Kong. And he's already kind of talking to the journalists that he wants um, them to release the information that he gives to them. But he talks about kind of like a really important part, what well, I think in the book, that kind of gives you insight as to why he wants the journalists to release the information for him instead of him doing it himself. Because he felt like it would be kind of biased or that people wouldn't understand. Yeah, he, he also mentioned in his interview with Joe Rogan that um, he wanted journalists to do it because they would be more objective and trusted more by the general public, I guess. And um, that way, uh, the government also had an opportunity to like voice their opinions or like say something about it but it didn't sound like they did uh no I, I think they just focused their efforts on getting edward snowden and telling all countries to send him back to the u.s so that he could face a fair trial but it wouldn't really be fair because yeah they tried to like shift the focus more on him and yeah. how snowden said it in the interview was like they they wanted to corrupt um the source not corrupt the source, sorry, uh, controversialize the source instead of the actual content. Yeah, that's exactly what he didn't want. Like in his book, he said specifically that he didn't want that to happen, which is why he wasn't sure about revealing himself. Um, but the thing was, he realized that they knew it was him because he'd been missing for like quite a long time <laughs> from work and stuff. But yeah, um, so... There were like two things that he was looking out for before he decided to become a whistleblower. And one of them was NSA's announcement of like a massive um, data center because his like basic questions about it was why does any government agency, let alone an intelligence agency, need that much space? Like what are they going to do with that amount of data? And then the second thing, which leads into why he wanted to release the information to the journalists, is there was this event and the chief technology officer of the CIA called Ira Gus Hunt started talking, he was like doing some sort of talk um, because they had signed a 10-year, $600 million cloud development and management deal with Amazon. And he was just speaking so honestly at this interview like listen to some of the quotes that snowden writes he says at the cia we fundamentally try to collect everything and hang on to it forever 
it is nearly within our grasp to commute on all human-generated information. And later he says, technology is moving faster than government or law can keep up. It's moving faster than you can keep up. You should be asking the question of what are your rights and who owns your data. And Edward Snowden was just like, what? Like, if anyone of a lower rank had said that stuff, they would be in prison. And it's just, it's like as if he's crying for help sort of thing, like telling people, you know, honestly, like, this is what we do. So he, yeah, but um, he he felt the reason why the journalists who were there didn't really, like, report on it that well was because they didn't understand what they were kind of how like severe this was and that's why he wanted to work with the journalists and make them understand like any sort of words or things that they didn't understand he wanted to make it clear so that the public could understand exactly how bad the situation is which is kind of why he's smart because he just did a lot of sort of um planning to make sure that something that is going to threaten his life at least he's going to you know get the job done sort of thing he had you have like one shot at doing this right so he wanted to do it well obviously i mean that's why i'd say to the conspiracy theorists <laughs> yeah no i think he did a really good job um it's it's hard to even like grasp that now um especially with like the rise of social media where we just freely and willingly give up our data for the sake of social capital or like <laughs> likes and uh, comments i feel like we're all guilty of that in some way shape or form mm -hmm. but it's also I, I it's not fair to like blame all of the individuals because we didn't know you know i mean we were probably like the same age when social when we probably got like our first social media app like as a young girl you're not thinking oh what, what are they getting out of this <laughs> you're just thinking oh it's a free app like it's so fun to use and everyone was just i don't know like we didn't realize what it actually meant to be using this stuff so i don't think it's fair to kind of be like oh well don't use social media like if you don't want your privacy to be infringed it's more like we should create more privacy laws to ensure that our data doesn't end up in data facilities forever and ever just waiting for us to be kind of examined sort mm -hmm. of thing like it's not fair <laughs> at the same time though um snowden spoke up about this because uh the government was already breaking laws right mm -hmm. so could it be that even if we do implement more privacy laws and uh, give more rights back to um, social media users or just users of the internet that technically the mm. people who do collect this data could still use it in ways that we are not aware of and yeah if, if it wasn't for whistleblowers we would probably never find out how our data is actually being used yeah that that that's true i guess it it's gonna gonna have to be something where maybe you'll have to meet them halfway <laughs> so it's like 
at the moment there are like browsers that you can use that don't um sell your data onto third parties so for example google is like widely used as a browser it's like the most used browser that everyone uses across the world and it's the worst <laughs> because <laughs> they have so many <laughs> so much information and data on everyone and um even like Google Classroom and stuff, the teachers can see your history. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah. <laughs> My sisters were in school and one parent figured it out and like alerted all the other parents and they were like, the teachers can see your history like li- if because if, the accounts are linked. Uh-huh. It's so weird. And they were like, what? Like, how was... What? And if the teachers can do that, just imagine what you know someone who actually knows what they're doing can find yeah and why would the teachers need that sort of information maybe to see if you're doing your homework yourself or if you're just cheating right (laughs) i don't know so it's always um kind of sold as this uh, protective measure Mm -hmm. but i guess there's a lot more potential behind it which we can't really control exactly and there's been like situations where um people have been questioned by the police because they have been searching sort of like red flagged searches so this guy it was in a documentary called terms and conditions and this guy was um he was writing a murder novel right (laughs) And he was typing in stuff to Google, like, how do you kill someone with an axe or something like that? How to dispose of a dead body. (laughs) Yeah, like really gruesome sort of stuff. And yeah, he ended up being like questioned by the police and everything. Wow. And he had like a perfectly reasonable excuse. But it's like, it it comes even before that. Like, how do you know? (laughs) You know, like, why are you looking into my private life? Like private life on on in technology and on the internet just mm-hmm. doesn't exist. It just depends whether you're flagging mm-hmm. up or not. Right. What I always find weird as well, it's happened to me a couple of times, is where I talk to friends on uh through my phone and then later when I go on uh Instagram I get an ad for something that we just talked about, but I didn't actually look it up or anything yeah see that's that's a weird one because people think that um it's the phone like listening to you but i think it's not actually that it's actually that um whatever like social media site that you saw it on or whether it was just on google or something they can accurately like pinpoint what you might want so that it's 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 not really a coincidence but because their targeting and their advertising is so like successful people think it's more like oh my god they're listening exactly to what i'm saying but it's not actually that because um what snowden says is that it's not re- it's not the content that they really listen to so it's not like what you're saying in a phone call or what you're texting it's about the underlying stuff that says more so for example um where you're like walking to like on your phone or something 
or what sites you're going on, how you pick your Google searches, like how far down you look at the searches. It's all that kind of stuff that like behavioral kind of analytics. And there's like two other ones that I can't remember. <laughs> but it, I think it's more to do with that than them actually listening to the content of what you're saying. But it happens a lot that people will say something and then it will come up like the next day. I mean, I've had it happen to me. Mm-hmm. I just remember this um, YouTube video of this couple who test this out and they just for, I don't know, like a couple of days, they just say cat food or like talk about cat food. But yeah. they don't own a cat. They, they've never looked up cat food or anything like that. And after... A certain time <laughs> i forgot the details yeah. uh they kept getting ads for like cat food so that's when they were like yeah. okay it's been confirmed but then again <laughs> it's a video on youtube so maybe they yeah. have been looking it up or yeah i mean um i mean it could be it could be that they're listening and i don't know because every single um like you know when you first download instagram or something it asks if it can have access to your microphone Mm -hmm. but what i find kind of weird now is that it doesn't give you that option of only when using instagram like the microphone is always on Mm -hmm. and i think that's the scary thing about um using this kind of technology because we only have such limited control over our data and um we don't really understand how, uh, in, in what ways and in what capacity our data is um, processed and where it ends up. I think that's why it was really good reading Edward Snowden's book because it really kind of explained in detail what kind of happens with your data and, and why you should care about it because a lot of people say that they don't care about privacy and it doesn't really matter to them. Um, but he kind of has this quote that he says he says ultimately saying that you don't care about privacy because you have nothing to hide is no different from saying you don't care about freedom of speech because you have nothing to say (laughs) mic drop (laughs) exactly and also if for example the government decides to change laws in some way like let's say they make it illegal to go fishing and um you have tons of images of you from your like fishing trips <laughs> just posing with your catch you know because all of that is stored and what if they're like okay we're gonna track everyone down who's ever fished and we're gonna find them um, <laughs> so they can never fish again yeah or just i don't know have some sort of measures <laughs> yeah it is kind of crazy because um it's also like the pandemic has made everything so much worse for us and so much better for like amazon apple microsoft all of the sort of tech companies and also federal law enforcement as well local law enforcement they have like contracts with microsoft and amazon to sort of like share information like there's um there's like this thing on youtube called surveillance in an era of pandemic and protest and it's three women and they talk about how it's sort of affecting um the black lives matter protests and how they're actually kind of profiting off of that 
because they were able to gather like all of the data from all of the people who were protesting and then pinpoint like exactly who these people were. So for example, in the system, they'll be known as like protesters or I don't know, like radicals or whatever. And also sort of what's going on in the UK at the moment and how they're trying to pass this law where you can't like have a peaceful protest if it's if it's not like confirmed or allowed sort of thing which kind of just like it's ridiculous how can you even propose that as a law you're taking everything away from what a protest is supposed to be you know it doesn't make any sense and the fact that they're targeting like peaceful protests it's just like where does it end you know like it's the last thing that we kind of have left Mm -hmm. and you're not even allowing that to happen yeah and i think that's what um snowden mentioned as well he said like he saw a shift after 9-11 happening from where uh the government saw its citizens more as subjects rather than partners and i i feel like we can definitely see that sort of shift um yeah like like with that bill for example trying to keep citizens under control and everything yeah it seems like i mean for for a democracy to work it's supposed to sort of you know come from the people but more and more Mm -hmm. it just seems very obscured and people are just like losing faith in these political systems or mps or whatever because they're not really doing what the people want so it's like does democracy really exist in the way that it should I don't really think so, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's definitely becoming harder and harder, it seems. And yeah. I, I guess, like, social media is sort of presented as a public or, like, social networking site um, mm-hmm. where people can voice their opinions and can have discussions and so on. But the the intrinsic or, like, the fundamental design of these platforms is to... I mean, maybe it, this wasn't the original intent, but it essentially divides people even more and it polarizes political opinion through like um, algorithms and just showing us what we want to see or what we already believe in. Yeah. Like people have to realize that these corporations do have a lot of power. Like they have even more power than governments have themselves because they're able to influence governments and help governments. Um, so it's like they need to take responsibility for the amount of power that they have and actually start doing what they intended to do, you know, not polarizing people's opinions and creating more hate, but, you know, to connect people. And if that's not feasible, then they're going to have to find a way to create restrictions because it's just sort of like, you know, laws, like why do we have laws to make sure that things don't go all into anarchy. Yeah. I think the scariest um, example I can think of at the moment is just Cambridge Analytica. Such a scary like thought to just think because some people have loads of money to spare, they just like pay this company who has access to all of this data and they... And they're probably like corrupt. And... Yeah, you can just push your agenda really. It is just propaganda, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just like gone way too far. Mm-hmm. Because it's just the fact that 
people aren't really aware <laughs> of all of these things going on at play and if you're not aware of something then you can't really like stop it or raise awareness about it i think that's like that's the main reason why snowden wanted to come out with this so that you know americans were aware of how their privacy is in threat definitely i mean even when we are aware of these things it's still hard to control that or like navigate around all of that because like like the other day i did an online personality quiz <laughs> just for fun you know? oh my god those are the worst so. <laughs> i know they literally know like all of my deepest fears and how, how they can manipulate me you've just given them like your personality on like a silver platter because <laughs> I want to know. I want to know what I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> there are books. <laughs> I know. I probably should have done that. But um, I guess at the moment, if people want to um, do like something to stop, you know, to protect their privacy more, is to use a browser like DuckDuckGo, where they don't um, sell your data onto third parties or anything like that, and they also show you what trackers they're blocking from. A specific web page that you look at which is quite a lot sometimes it's like 14 different people tracking you and you're just looking at like a recipe yeah <laughs> honestly i started um blocking third party cookies um just mm-hmm. using like the google chrome security settings yeah and oh, i was on this page of an article for climate anxiety mm-hmm. and there were 156 third-party cookies that were blocked why (laughs) why do they want to know what i'm reading because it all feeds into um this one cookie that you have that's sort of like your identity in the internet sort of thing so um as you've been using the internet and assuming that you don't block any cookies which i don't think a lot of people do to be honest it adds all of your personal information and any behavioral analytics, any, you know, personalized, what they call personalized cookies. It's all add onto this identifier so that when you open like a new site, um, all of the advertisers on that site can get all of that information from that cookie and understand how to target you more. Oh, that's great. Right. <laughs> and what you're more likely to click on, what you're more likely to be interested in, what you're more likely to pay attention to that all comes out of that one cookie and that is why you shouldn't accept cookies because the only ones that you really need to make the website working is the performative cookies then they have three other ones all of those are not necessary those are just to help um, them collect more data on you because as i said it's not it's not really about the content it's more about um your behavior and how you use the internet and what would attract your attention yeah. more sort of thing so could i technically um take the same personality test again mm. but just give completely wrong answers yeah and then confuse that cookie uh-huh. that is that is also like one thing that you could kind of do like if you want to do it for fun create like fake accounts on like facebook and social media and create like a whole different sort of like persona that's one way of kind of getting more privacy because it's not really who you are 
Yeah, I think uh, that there was um, at the end of the social dilemma, um, the documentary on Netflix. They talk about some ways of how to protect your privacy. And I think another thing that they mentioned was removing recommendations or at least not clicking on them. Yeah, don't. Which is so hard because they obviously they are pretty spot on. I'm not going to lie. So sometimes I see something and I'm like, like, even if it's just a YouTube recommendation, I'm like, oh, yes, I want to see that. Like, it's so much easier to just click on it rather than going to the search bar and typing in that title and then... That's true. Even... We definitely have a long way to go, I think, Mm -hmm. because we are moving so quickly with technological developments. Yeah, um, that is the problem. It's kind of hard to keep up and legislation just definitely doesn't move fast enough at all. At least they have the option to like consent to cookies now and you can block all those unnecessary cookies. So I started doing that. But I think another thing that they uh, mentioned in the social dilemma was um, making sure to get different kinds of information and perspectives because of this filter bubble. There was this one quote um, also in the social dilemma by Jaron Lania. Um, He basically said, It's the gradual, slight, imperceptible change in your own behavior and perception that is the product of social media. And I think that is really true. Like, I I have probably been influenced loads by the content I see on social media, even though I'm not even aware of it. Yeah, definitely. But at least you're aware of it, you know, because some people... (laughs) No, it's true because some people refuse to believe that social media affects them in any way or affects their opinion when, I'm sorry, but if you use social media at least, you know, one, two, three hours a day, then it is going to affect you whether you like it or not. It's just, it's like being aware of the problem is better than not being aware of it at all because then you can't change it. Because I'm sure like now that you've realized that it might influence your opinion, you take a double take at things. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a MAH production hosted, produced and edited by me, Sarah Rush, and me, <laughs> Shannon Dennis. And the intro music is by Tall Kettle and the outro music is by Moises Camarago. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and we welcome any thoughts, comments and further ideas via on the record ma at googlemail.com. 